Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, everyone's ready for the upcoming election. Well, everyone except the Conservatives, that is. And the Liberals strike another blow to free speech. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show on August 4th, 2021. Great to have you aboard here on True North. Getting back into a regular swing of things after a long weekend. Hope you enjoyed some downtime, perhaps. And we are in that inter, not really an interregnum, but that kind of weird twilight period as summer is almost ending, but not quite. And we're trying to pretend that September is not as close as it is. And we also have the added bonus of an election coming at any moment. It's kind of like every time I go take a shower now, I'm assuming that I'm going to come out and I'll check my phone and just have a text that's like, ah, the election's on. So it hasn't happened yet. Who knows? By the time this show has finished recording, we could be in the midst of an election. And I'm, I'm actually kind of getting tired of the rumoring about it because everyone says they know. And people like have claim to know with like really in-depth precision of like, oh yes, the election's going to be called on August 8th, and then the election's going to be on September 17th. And then someone else will say, oh no, it's, it's coming on August uh, 13th is the day. I don't make predictions because then it's actually very brilliant because then I can never be wrong. But I will say this is, I guess, a, a very, a very wide, a wide prediction. I think there is going to be an election in the next couple of months. I, as far as the exact day, I don't really care. I'm at the point now of let's just get it over with because I, I'm tired of just everyone talking about it without there actually being an election. I, I know it's not going to be called this week, and I know that because if you look at Justin Trudeau's itineraries, he's been taking his uh, favorite type of itinerary, the personal day itinerary for the last few days. Now, even Justin Trudeau deserves a, a little bit of downtime. I've never criticized Trudeau for taking vacations because I, generally speaking, think the country is better off when he is on vacation. So if he wants to just completely stay there, that is completely fine. I am completely okay with that. In any case, I do want to talk a little bit about the brewing election fever here because some of the attack ads have already started, specifically from third-party groups who can kind of spend as much money as they want right now without any criticism, without any scrutiny, and without any disclosure of it. And a couple of groups notably have decided to avail themselves of this privilege. Most prominent among them is Unifor, which has never been a friend to conservatives. It's always basically shilled for the liberals, but they take that ABC approach, that anybody but conservative approach. And they unveiled an attack ad against Aaron O'Toole, which I will say is, is well produced. I have to give credit where it's due there. But they missed the mark on a few things. But let's roll that ad first. The next model of conservative is here. Meet the 2021 O'Toole. Ready to steer Canada in the wrong direction. Engineered by big corporations to leave us behind. Driven to cut health care and public services just like Jason Kenney. Another out-of-touch politician at a price we can't afford. Meet the 2021 O'Toole. New name, same old conservative.
Ah, yes, you think you're watching a vehicle ad and then it ends up being an anti-conservative attack ad. Uh, crapping on the types of vehicles made by Unifor auto workers, one would presume. But I digress. Here's the thing. Unifor is big business. Anytime they try to claim that they're not, they're neglecting the fact that they preside over more money than most businesses in Canada do. Certainly the small and medium businesses who don't seem to be on their radar. They have a right to support or oppose politicians, that's fine. But here's the thing. I, I don't like the disingenuousness that comes when unions, especially Unifor, which has gone through more mergers and acquisitions than a lot of big business, is claiming to be out for the little guy. That simply is not the case. And more importantly, Unifor is the union that doesn't just represent auto workers and telecom workers and people in numerous sectors. Unifor actually represents thousands of Canadian journalists. Journalists in newsrooms across the country, print, television, I believe maybe some radio as well, though don't quote me on that. Thousands of people who are supposedly non-partisan, unbiased, fair and objective, and for the most part are but are paying union dues to Unifor, which is then using that money to go on these anti-conservative crusades. Now, whether you agree or disagree with the message, Unifor is putting journalist members in an incredibly dangerous spot. And I've said in the past that anyone who is in Unifor who is a journalist should have to disclose that membership in any coverage they do of the federal election when their union has decided to go on these crusades to try to affect the election results. We saw this in 2019 when Jerry Dias and his crew at Unifor declared themselves the resistance to Andrew Scheer. Now, even though Andrew Scheer lost, I really don't think you can blame Unifor, but they had that photo of the... It's actually a great... I, I'm going to show this. It's a great photo because they had this photo and they declared themselves Andrew Scheer's worst nightmare. And while looking at that photo is enough to give you nightmares, not for the reasons they think. And I have a hard time trembling in my boots when... And they can't even manage to look at the camera at the same time for this photo that they kind of use to launch their election initiative. And Unifor has like a full election war room. They're working nonstop. They are basically a political action group. They're not interested when there's an election in collective bargaining. They're interested in doing the old trope that O'Toole is just like Stephen Harper and just uh, saying that the Conservatives are an old truck that still manages to work after 25 years or, or whatever the case is. So the reality is that Unifor is going to do what Unifor does. But members of Unifor are going to be writing about the election while they are funding this effort. And I mentioned this just very cheekily on Twitter the other day. I said the latest from the union that represents thousands of Canadian journalists. And someone said, well, why are you ignoring all of these other things that their members do? And I said, because I don't care. I don't care about auto workers that want to take a, a particular position. I don't care about people that install cable that want to take a, a particular political position. That's fine. I care about the people who hold themselves up as the neutral arbiters of truth, the ones who are responsible for communicating what's happening in this election. They're the ones that I care about right now when they decide to be part of an organization that puts political action front and center in an election. 
And this has been kind of a recurring frustration. And I will say a fair bit of pushback from some Postmedia employees. Postmedia is one company that has a lot of union unionized shops with, with Univore specifically. Uh, Andrew Coyne, uh, Chris Selly, a few individual voices have kind of spoken up and said this is just not helping them. It, it's raising questions. And it's not to, to at all undermine the work that individual journalists are doing. It's to say that it kind of causes questions about what's going on in these newsrooms when Unifor is a political action group and also the representatives of the workers in these unions. And I mean, as far as just the old trope, the attack ad, whatever the case may be, doesn't matter. People can say what they want. This is not taking away Unifor's right to speak freely or Unifor's right to advocate for its members. I'm actually very pro-union in the sense that I believe workers have the right to assemble and I believe unions have the right to be a voice, but I believe it should be voluntary. And that's key. And that's why I have a lot more patience for private sector unions than for public sector unions, which are basically just giant grifts off the backs of taxpayers. But the election is very much happening. The question is whether people are prepared for it and what that preparedness looks like. And here's another example of this. There's a, another group. I won't play this ad because it's just sort of the, the same old, same old. But a new action group has come together called the Protecting Canada Project. And they've launched a 30-second ad saying that Aaron O'Toole is going to cut funding for health care, which has never actually been proven. Uh, True North did a, a write-up on this the other day, and, and they looked at this and, and found that there's no evidence to support the claims that these attack ads are making. But I digress. Never let facts stand in the way of an agenda. But this new group, Protecting Canada Project, getting funding from whomever, doesn't matter, uh, launching the anti-conservative attacks. And it's always the same. It's always the same. The ominous music, the big scary close-up, and the assumption or presumption that whoever the conservative leader is is still just uh, living in the puppeteering of Stephen Harper. That's basically the rationale. Now, I think there are a lot of conservatives in Canada who would love a conservative leader that was a Stephen Harper puppet right now. But I need to talk about Aaron O'Toole here because the attacks are identical. No matter what, no matter what a conservative politician says, the attacks they field are identical. So any nice guy routine that a conservative leader does is not winning any support from the critics. It is not changing minds in the least. Aaron O'Toole has talked about this old line of his, that he wants more people to wake up, more Canadians to wake up and look in the mirror and see a conservative. It's a great line. He said he wants Canadians of every race, every religion, no religion, every sexual orientation, gender, every industry, every part of the country. He wants them all to find a home in the conservative party. Great. You need to expand the base. You need to expand the tent. But you don't do that at the expense of your base because you're going to find that there is a contingent of the population that will always hate you. They'll always be against you. And you can't just expect to win everyone. And this is one of the greatest misconceptions about politics, about elections, that you win them by getting more people to vote for you. In a technical sense, you do. But on the ground, it's about getting the people who like you motivated enough to vote for you and getting just that small subset. You don't want to get everyone to vote for you, but that small subset you need to have more than the other side to vote for you. And the problem with that is that you can't do it if you are content to surrender your base. And I'm getting a lot of frustration 
a lot of frustration right now from the base. Conservatives who are very annoyed that Aaron O'Toole has not taken a strong stand on Bill C-36, which we'll be talking about later on in this show. Conservatives very frustrated that just uh, that <laughs> there is a Freudian slip if ever there was one, that Aaron O'Toole introduced a carbon tax, basically, that he has kind of forgotten about, hasn't really talked about it since then, but it's there. It's been promised to Canadians. And that a lot of other things like Brad Trost's suspension and then subsequent requalification, uh, Derek Sloan's expulsion from caucus, all of these things that have happened that have made a lot of people in the conservative base sour or at the very least be a bit leery of Aaron O'Toole. And we remember what happened with Andrew Scheer in 2019. Scheer was trying to win the support of everyone. He wanted to be everyone's friend, really did not do himself any favors with the base. And it was only after that election that he started to try to reclaim a lot of that. We couldn't get an interview with him during the election or even in the immediate lead up to it. But after the election's over, he was like, oh, yeah, we'll come on the show whenever you want. And, and that's a problem. When conservative leaders are courting conservatives in leadership races, but they kind of forget about them in the general election. And I want to talk about one notable example of this here, because there is going to be an election. We know it. It's just going to be a question of when and how long it is, but there is going to be an election. It's a minority government that's already gone almost two years, which is pretty much as much as you get out of a minority government. And this is not coming from Aaron O'Toole directly, but it's coming from people on his team. And I think it is at the very least a test balloon here. One of his uh, people, Director of Strategy, Dan Robertson, sorry, Chief of Strategy, Dan Robertson, says a Delta-driven fourth wave is a clear, immediate, and foreseeable threat to Canada. Its mitigation should be the exclusive focus of the government right now, not an election. And then Melanie Parody, who is on maternity leave right now, but she's also on Aaron O'Toole's team, says in a retweet of this, parents want their kids back in the classroom this September, but an election could mean polling stations in thousands of schools during a fourth wave. So here we have two rather prominent members of O'Toole's team that are talking about this fourth wave, this Delta-driven fourth wave, apparently being justification to not have an election because it's too risky, it's too dangerous. We can't have people in schools, COVID in schools, COVID with Delta in schools, Canadian schools. We're not making this up. There's like an obscure Canadian political reference for you. If you didn't get it, don't worry about it. But here's the reality of it. This is what they're saying, that it's too dangerous to have an election. Conservatives, by and large, I shouldn't say that with a capital C, but people on the right, small C conservatives, have been the ones pushing for reopenings for the last several months. They've been the ones telling the governments to ditch the pandemic alarmism to get back to normal. So the fact that Aaron O'Toole's office is now trying to say it's so dangerous to have an election, we can't have an election, we can't have people walking into schools as polling stations, that's going to be too dangerous and too reckless, government should be solely focused on the pandemic right now, I'm like, whoa, 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 the conservatives have been the ones criticizing Justin Trudeau's mishandling of the pandemic, as is their job as the official opposition. So all of a sudden they're saying that they want Justin Trudeau's liberals to be the uh, to be solely focused on pandemic response. A government they've accused of being corrupt, unaccountable, too happy to rack up billions and billions and billions of dollars in debt and deficits and now they're saying no no no, 
There shouldn't be an election. We should just let them focus on the pandemic. Which is it? Is it a corrupt, reckless, spend-happy government that needs to be turfed? Or is it a government that you trust to be the steady hand throughout the pandemic? So there are two, two reasons, two theories I've come up with here. Number one is that the conservatives are just not ready for an election. They're scared. They think they're going to lose. They don't want an election right now until they're ready. The other side of it is that they're true believers. The conservatives are buying into this media-driven Delta fourth wave paranoia, the Delta plus variant, the Delta double mutant variant. I mean, eventually it's going to be like walking down sorority or fraternity row. You're just going to have like the Delta Kappa Kappa variant, the Delta Upsilon variant, the Sigma Chi variant. And the reality is, if the conservatives are buying into that right now, they're going down the road of the same COVID alarmism that was plunging people into lockdown for almost a year and a half. This is coming, well, even Manitoba, Manitoba, led by Brian, you're all idiots if you want to protest lockdown Pallister after he has dropped the mask mandate, which I never thought would happen before Ontario. So here I am in the masked and semi-restricted Ontario. Well, even Manitoba is walking relatively free now. And what's happening here is O'Toole is reversing that. People in Alberta had the Calgary Stampede, not a whiff of trouble from it. They're mask-free, they're having a grand old time, and O'Toole's team is saying it's too dangerous to have an election. So they're trying to just score a political point with Justin Trudeau. They're trying to be able to position him as reckless and irresponsible, when in reality, all they look like are cowards. And that's the, the, there's no other way to view this. The conservative team, if they are not prepared and willing to fight an election right now, after everything they've said about Justin Trudeau, then what are they there for? It's almost as if the conservatives have just adopted this permanent role as opposition. they, They forget that opposition has to be a vehicle to do something else, ideally a vehicle to govern. But they, they are just content now to be the perpetual permanent opposition, as long-lasting as the COVID restrictions in Ontario. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. I was talking a couple of moments ago about election preparedness. I have to share this. Uh, I was on vacation last week, so I, I just I wasn't doing a show. So a few things that just you know popped onto my radar that I said, well, I don't think anyone else has talked about this. The Green Party of Canada has been in just like, I, I feel bad for, for Annamie Paul for many, many reasons. She's inherited a party that doesn't want her. If I were her, I would just like say, well, screw you guys. I'm leaving. I could do better things because she's not a dumb woman at all. Uh, but she's trying to do it. She's trying to cobble together whatever coalition she can within her Green Party. Elizabeth May is like waiting, you know, stage left, uh, waiting for Anime to be forced off so that she can, you know, come on and just like, you know, descend and say, here I am. But here's the thing. Branding is very important in politics. I do feel it can be kind of overstated, but it is important. You need to have a good brand. You need to have some good designers. Anyone and everyone can use Photoshop these days. This is the official t-shirt that the Green Party has settled on for Anime Paul. Yeah. I saw this on Facebook. A friend of mine shared it, and I thought it was a joke. Like, I thought it was like someone just did a Microsoft Paint job, 
and was just kind of making fun of it. And then I looked in there. There it is on the website. That, that is a legitimate Green Party shirt. And, oh, you can get it in multiple colors, too. Yeah, you can get it in gray. You can get it in uh, black. You can. Especially the black doesn't look too, too bad. You can get it in a teal, which is a little bit ostentatious, but uh, but there we go. And, and this is what they're doing. Now, I wonder if the graphic designer is part of the group that's trying to launch the coup against anime paul that that is kind of the only justification i can think of although then again you look at the elizabeth may t-shirt which they're still selling although at a significant uh, price reduction em for pm that uh, is uh, down to ten dollars marked down from 29 dollars. so uh, they're trying to like get rid of all this inventory but they may need to bring it back that's once elizabeth may swoops in to reclaim the party, that's going to go right back up to $29 again. So so now's your chance if you want an EM for PM shirt. Christmas is around the corner. You never know who uh, who you might hate enough to give that to in any case. Got to have some fun, right? Because if you're not laughing, you are crying. I am anyway. I want to talk about this story here. Bill C-36, a few weeks back, I brought up. It is the biggest attack on free speech that Justin Trudeau's liberals have launched. Worse than C-10, far worse than anything else they've done. A bill that restores Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act and will allow the government to prosecute so-called online hate speech. Now, in the time that Bill C-36 has been introduced, Parliament has risen, so it's more of a political fight now taking place outside of the House of Commons, but still a bill that the Liberals are no doubt going to champion if they win an election, and I think they're probably going to campaign on it. And there has been nary a peep. From most of the media, there's been very little pushback. In fact, I, I'm, I'm going to go out to say no pushback from Aaron O'Toole, a little bit from a couple of conservative MPs, but for the most part, everyone has just accepted it and moved on. Here's an interesting thing, though. The Liberals appointed a bunch of senators in the last, well, they, two batches, actually, a batch in June and a batch last week. One of those, David Arnott, was the chief commissioner, the human rights commissioner in the province of Saskatchewan. And when I heard that, I'm like, you know, I, I seem to remember hearing some very dangerous things about free speech from the chief commissioner of human rights in Saskatchewan a couple of years back. And I went and looked up in my archives, looked up in the Hansards, as I do from time to time. And David Arnott was one of the leading voices when the liberals were planning to introduce this hate speech bill that they had testifying before the House of Commons Standing Committee on Justice and Human Rights. And he was actually pushing the government to introduce a nearly identical version of what the Liberal government has now introduced. And he wasn't doing this as a prospective Liberal senator that we knew. He was doing this as a concerned Human Rights Commissioner in the province of Saskatchewan. And I, I want you to hear how he refers to free speech, because this is the attitude that is behind Bill C-36. It's the attitude behind the Liberal government's approach to regulating the internet and regulating online speech. And by appointing him as a senator, knowing full well that he's been advocating and will help the Liberals push this forward, to hear what he says about free speech is very revealing. There is no empirical evidence that human rights legislation unduly fetters legal speech. Contrary to the arguments of the free speech advocates, Canada has no democratic tradition of unbridled free speech. Freedom of speech in Canada has always been freedom governed by limits recognized in law. Despite the charter protection 
of freedom of expression, there are numerous limits to free expression that are justifiable in a free and democratic society. Reasonable limits to expression protect against greater harms that flow from unfettered speech. There is a lot to unpack there. So he, he says that there's no evidence that a bill that literally regulates online speech will regulate speech and limit free speech. Well, okay, we'll get to that in a second. And then he also says, which is not, he's not saying this as a legal analysis. He's saying this as a desirable point, that there is no right to what he calls unbridled freedom of expression in Canada. He says there's no right in Canada, no democratic tradition of free speech. And he says we have lots of limits and reasonable limits protect against the greater harms that flow from unfettered speech. So he says that it's more harmful to have free speech than to have restricted government-approved speech. And this is an important point here because it's one that the liberals have relied on. They say that, well, I mean, free speech is is harmful. You you can't have just completely free speech. And, And they get so indignant that free speech absolutists like me actually think that. And I've talked about why at great length, because when you when you don't have free speech, you have government approved speech. And then the question will always be in where you draw the line, which is a lot more difficult to do than to just have no line and accept that in a free society, people are going to say things you deplore. You don't need legal protections for speech that you don't deplore. You don't need uh, freedom of speech to protect uncontroversial speech, which is the great illogic of these things when they try to say, well, no, I support free speech, but not for hate speech. Well, that isn't free speech at all. And an interesting point about this that I think needs to be addressed is that they're trying to play with definitions here, forgetting that we already have one. We already have in the criminal code a very high threshold for speech. What Bill C-36 does is basically lowers that threshold and allows the Human Rights Commission to prosecute. And this is something that David Arnott, now Senator David Arnott, was pushing for in his testimony before the House of Commons a couple of years back. It was in, I think, May of, of 2019. And he said, well, the criminal code has too high a threshold. This is what he said. And he goes down that line that Stephen Gilbo has also gone down that, well, well, unfettered free speech is just too dangerous. And he thinks that it makes speech more free if you censor speech. How that makes sense, I don't know. But here's how he justifies it. Ironically, hate speech arises in public debates uh, and can be very restrictive and exclusionary. Legitimate debate in our democracy, which is expressed in a civil manner, encourages the exchange of opposing views. Hate speech is antithetical to that objective. It shuts down dialogue by making it difficult or impossible for members of a vulnerable group to respond, thereby stifling discourse. Hate speech that shuts down public debate cannot dodge prohibition on the basis that it promotes debate. So now he's moving the goalposts. He's saying that, no, you have to express yourself in a civil manner. Now, I'm a firm believer in the fact that you should express yourself in a civil manner, but I do not believe that government has the right to stand behind you and force you to do it. There is no legal obligation to be civil. There's no legal obligation to be kind. These are social obligations. They're moral obligations. They're things that need to form the backbone of a polite society. I've long said we need to have civil discourse. 
I'm against no platforming because I believe that people should be able to have these debates. And if they don't want to have a debate or a discussion with someone, they shouldn't be forced to do it. But what the government is doing is moving more and more towards this direction where there is one approved position that you are allowed to espouse in society. And as much as they want to hold up horrific examples like the attack on a Muslim family in London, Ontario early this summer as justification to ban online speech, despite, by the way, that no evidence has been put forward by authorities that there was an online hate speech component there. But I digress. The liberal government used that as justification to push legislation forward that restricts online speech. What they don't tell you is that they and these bureaucrats, these faceless unelected bureaucrats, are the ones responsible for the day-to-day definition and redefinition over time of what government-unapproved speech is. And despite the fact that now Senator Arnott, a Trudeau-appointed so-called independent senator, says there's no empirical evidence that free speech was threatened, just look at the prosecutions that took place under Section 13. Attempted prosecutions and prosecutions. People were using this commission, weaponizing it against journalists. You had Ezra Levant, who was targeted by the Alberta Human Rights Commission. Mark Stein, who was targeted eventually by the BC Human Rights Tribunal after they tried to shop it around to Ontario and to Canada. And and this section had a near 100% prosecution rate for most of its existence. Nearly 100% of its cases were successfully prosecuted, resulted in convicting someone for blogging the wrong words, for posting the wrong thing in an internet comment section. The, The reality is when you allow the government to regulate the internet, what you are doing is giving government the right to regulate speech. And I have to point out, the the bones of this have started to materialize a bit more. The Liberals said last week they're going to unveil a digital security commission. Oh, well, that sounds nice. Digital security is important. One of the things this commission will be doing is looking at things like child pornography and harm emanating from online pornography sites. Well, that's good. Everyone can agree with that. But in the same program, the same department, they're also going after social media companies like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and they're going to weaponize their authority to force these companies to take down so-called hate speech. They'll have to take down child pornography. Good. No objection for me on that. But they're also using this same power to go after online hate speech. Companies could face millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in fines if they don't zap content that has been flagged as illegal within 24 hours. So as I've warned about since long before C10, what the liberals are doing is deputizing big tech to become the enforcers of the government speech codes. And when Facebook tells you, oh, well, this is hate speech, we're purging it online. They're doing this under government authority, but you can't appeal it. You can't take it to court. Your grievance is with Facebook, even though it's government behind pulling the strings. So anyone who says that, well, if you just oppose this, you're supporting hate speech. No, I'm supporting the right for people to engage in civil society without the fear of government maligning speech it does not like as hate speech and using that as justification to zap impolite, discourteous, uncivil, perhaps inaccurate opinions that people hold. 
that are nonetheless protected under the spirit of free speech, a spirit that the government simply does not embody. And its appointment of Senator David Arnott is very much proof of that. We've got to end things there. My thanks to you all for tuning into the show. We'll be back with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show in just a couple of days' time. This is The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.